0: From WLRN Public Media in Miami and Florida Public Radio, this is Decision Florida. I'm Tom Hudson.
1: And I'm Matthew Petty from WMFE in Orlando. Every Florida voter knows how important he or she is to the presidential election. We are the biggest swing state with the most electoral college votes at stake. And thanks to the 2000 presidential race, we know how significant each Florida ballot can be for the popular vote.
0: watching those hanging chads from a half-generation ago, Matthew. How Florida votes... How you vote in the audience may well decide who sits ultimately in the Oval Office next year. You know, Matthew, it's really one reason why Florida's public radio stations have teamed up here to create this program, Decision Florida. So for the next 10 Fridays, we will be talking about this unprecedented election cycle here in the
1: Sunshine State and the unique role that we play in it. That's right, Tom, and it goes beyond the presidential race too, the U.S. Senate race. All the congressional districts and one entire Florida legislature will be up on the full ballot as well. We're talking about the races, the issues, the candidates...
0: It's big. And those presidential candidates are focusing more and more in Florida. We know that the uh, Hillary Clinton campaign has had dozens of state offices open. Mm -hmm. And over the next week or so, the Trump campaign expects to open more than two dozen offices.
1: Right. And if you've been anywhere near a television recently, you might have been bombarded with some ads. Uh, Of course, there, Trump also kind of outgunning, uh, Clinton rather, outgunning Trump twenty two thousand some ads uh... played and, and versus trump just uh, over three and a half thousand there so a little bit of a difference in terms of you know what's you're seeing on air, uh, the office issues you're seeing on the ground but uh... There's some interesting kind of uh, ch- uh, differences in the, the polling as well. It's uh,
0: And the polling is tighter than it's ever been. We just saw a new poll out yesterday finding that in Florida it is a dead heat, a dead tie, 47% to 47%. So we know Florida is in focus for the presidential campaigns. We know Florida voters are focused on the presidential campaigns. Have you gone to a political rally? Do you want Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton to visit your city between now and now? and voting in november and what do you want them to know about your town about the issues in your neighborhood that could connect to the oval office it is decision florida from the peninsula to the panhandle here is the phone number three zero five nine nine five eighteen hundred three zero five nine nine five 1800, are in social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you name it, uh, hashtag Decision Florida. Uh, Scott Arsenault is along with us. He is the executive director of the Florida Democratic Party, senior advisor to Hillary Clinton in Florida, joining us from sister station WJCT in Jacksonville. Scott, considering the latest polling data that was out from Quinnipiac University just yesterday, uh, showing a, a tie, a statistical tie between Clinton and Trump in Florida, is the traditional ground game from the Clinton campaign failing?
2: Well, no, no, Tom, and first of all, good afternoon. and Thanks for having me, uh, you and Matthew, appreciate it. And no, look, this is a 1% state. Uh, we know this election is gonna be decided by 1%, 2% will be a blowout. Uh, and our ground game is strong And just getting out there, really in the last couple of months, beginning to talk to voters and mobilize our volunteers. And it's always going to be tight. It'll be down of the wire. But it's that ground game that we think is going to make the difference and give us that one, two percent that's going to give us victory on Election
1: Day. So, Scott, when you look at those polls, when you see that that uh, those numbers sort of tightening up there, you're not looking at a change of strategy at this point?
2: Oh, absolutely not. We We have known, again, that this is going to be a tight race all the way down to November 8th. Again, we've had the last three statewide elections going back from to 2008, 2010, 2012, 2014, have all been decided by one point or less 60, 72, 64,000 votes, uh, considering it's going to be tight when you consider this race
0: Scott you know Florida very well you know which precincts those dozens of votes are going to mean victory or uh, or losing the electoral college votes that are at stake in Florida where are those precincts where are the geographic areas in the state that the Clinton campaign is going to is going to put those resources to work over the next several weeks
2: well, we're we're really in every corner of the state. I mean, we've got offices now in Pensacola. We offered we opened up an office in Little Haiti in Miami this week. Uh, we opened up an office in Newport Ritchie in Pasco County last week. I mean, we're we're everywhere. Uh, but we're going to focus a lot on sort of our, our big urban areas: Miami Dade, Broward, Orange County. Now is growing, you know, exponentially. The last, even just the last four years. I mean, Florida is such an ever-changing state uh, that we're going to be really in our in our big markets, but we're going to go after all those votes because we think we can do well in literally every corner this time.
1: Scott, we've seen a lot of uh, Trump, and uh, we've seen some of Tim Kaine, of course, too, in the I-4 corridor. And people often hone in on the I-4 corridor, you know, from Tampa to Orlando as one of the key areas. Is this where you see Florida being won or lost this time around?
2: Well, we do. I mean, that, those, that's You're talking, when you talk about Orlando and Tampa, that is essentially 45% of the state now lives there. So almost half the votes cast will be right there along the I-4 uh, when you think about the folks who look at television in those two markets. So in lots of ways, yes, that's where a lot of our swing voters are. Uh, but South Florida is critically important for us as well. Um, we're going to spend a lot of time uh, in the Miami-Dade media market, a lot of time in Palm Beach, Uh, talking to where where our base voters live and getting those folks out to vote.
0: We've already seen throughout the state uh, a a real televised uh, message focus in Palm Beach, in Orlando, in Tampa, in Jacksonville. Uh, you mentioned some of those areas right there, Scott. I, I'm wondering um, the panhandle, for instance. We know Donald Trump is going to be in Pensacola this weekend. We're going to be speaking with uh, uh, Trump's uh, strategy boss for the state of Florida coming up uh, a little bit later on in this program. Um, what gives you the, uh, the the confidence to be competitive in the panhandle, and what's at stake there compared to the rest of the peninsula for the, the Clinton campaign?
2: Well, you know, We know that we've we've got voters out in the panhandle in Tallahassee all the way to Gainesville and in here in Jacksonville who will vote who will vote for us if we get our message out. I think all too often for Democrats, uh, we don't go out and campaign in Panama City. We don't go to Mariana. Uh, We don't get to Fort Walton. And and we really need to do that this election and make sure that while we're not going to win out in those regions, uh, we do know we can get our vote there and get the numbers that we need to. So we're not going to take uh, Pensacola or any of those areas for granted. Frankly, we were going to be there, but for unfortunately, with the, when the hurricane came, you know, Tim Kaine was going to be there that week. Uh, but we'll be back, and we'll be campaigning there a lot this cycle.
0: You mentioned some of those messages, Scott. What are those messages and the difference in the messages that South Florida is going to hear compared to Central Florida, the I-4 corridor, compared to those potential Democratic supporters in the panhandle?
2: Well, uh Essentially, it's going. It, it will be the same statewide. We'll emphasize different things in different areas. You know, we're talking about the stronger together message uh, about Donald Trump being as divisive as he is uh, about an economy that works for everyone, uh, not just the 1%. I mean, we, that's a message that's going to resonate throughout Florida. Uh, we'll be talking about military families in the panhandle, where you have a, a lot of military families live from Jacksonville to Pensacola. And in South Florida, we'll be talking a lot more about... The economy and jobs, and the port of Miami, the port of Jacksonville, and Fort Everglades. I mean, it, it, it's we've got, I think, a, a message that resonates on the I-4 Panhandle and South Florida.
1: Scott, you talk about you know the one percent and the fact that you you're, you've got the stronger together message reaching out to everybody, not just that that top echelon. But on the other hand, you have folks who support Trump, and a lot of them are coming from you know blue collar working class backgrounds. How do you reach out to those people?
2: well, you you're right, matthew. And, and we we've got to go frankly to where where they live, where they where they get their news, uh, what they need to hear, and that's that's good. It's often the ground game. We need to have offices in places like Pasco County, in Polk County, you know, in Sarasota, down in Naples. We've got to go out there and talk to those voters one on one who we believe our message is a better one for them and that they will they will respond to. And we may be hearing from things for Trump which frankly aren't true, uh, and we've got to get the truth out to them.
0: Scott, you've got, to, what, 51 uh, offices now in Florida. How many do you anticipate having before the uh, absentee ballots go out in just a few weeks?
2: Oh, we'll have over 70 uh, before the second week of October, uh, for sure, we'll have over 70 as of, as of last week. And, and we're, and we're what, committed to being
0: all over the state. And what kind of financial commitment uh, is the campaign and, uh, and its supporters willing to put into Florida?
2: Well, Florida is a, is a very expensive state, yeah. uh, so we'll, we'll be spending a, a large, large sum of money here to, to get our message
1: out. Nine figures, ten figures? Oh, at least. Um, Scott, you know, we heard from uh, Bill Clinton up in the Orlando area campaigning in a predominantly black neighborhood in Orlando this week. Mm-hmm. Um, is that an area of concern for the campaign?
2: Well, it's not an area of concern, but, uh, you know, African-American voters are are critically important to our coalition. And we want to make sure that they know uh, that, you know, we we have a message that's going to be important to their community, uh, that we don't take them for granted, uh, and that we want them to get involved and come out and vote in this election. So it, we're we're going to continue to spend time in the African-American community, you know, every week, every day. Uh, to get that message out.
0: Scott Arsenault is uh, the executive director of the Florida Democratic Party, uh, top strategist for the Clinton campaign in Florida. Scott, you call this a 1% state, meaning that the the winning differential could be 1% come uh, election day. Is that 1% in your estimation coming from independent voters, newly registered voters, or are these uh, uh, truly uh, uh, non-party affiliated voters, do you think?
2: Well, the th- the thing about Florida, Tom, it, it's there's no silver bullet here. You can't just go to MPAs or an affiliate of voters and think I'm going to make it up there. Or, I can't think I'm just going to turn out so many more Democrats that'll make it. Out. You've got to do do it all. Uh, you've got to turn out a, a significant number of Democrats to win. You've got to win independents uh, to win. I mean that that one percent, like the state itself, is made up of a whole host of voters getting Republicans that are turned off by Donald Trump getting Cuban-Americans who traditionally haven't voted Democrat to consider us this time and vote for Hillary Clinton. So that 1% is going to be made up of a, of a of very uh, multi-layered cake, uh, <laughs> but we're going to get there.
1: Just uh, quickly, Scott, what about the impact of third-party candidates? You've got Gary Johnson, You know, he's polling pretty strongly, you've got also Jill Stein. Um, how do you see those candidates having an effect, and how do you steer independent voters back to your candidate?
2: Yeah, the, it'll be very interesting this year. Florida has not seen MPA or independent candidates do all that well uh, in, a, in a gubernatorial year. You'll see, you know, four or five percent of the electorate, sometimes six percent go to these other party candidates. But we haven't seen that in, in, a, in a presidential year. Uh, it could be impactful here because Donald Trump has frankly turned off so many of uh, the tra- of traditional Republicans, particularly here in Florida. Uh, so what, what we've got to do is say you're, you're turned off by Donald Trump, but you need to listen to uh, what Secretary Clinton has to say. Scott Arsenault, uh, the executive director
0: of the Florida Democratic Party. We are coming up on a break here, Scott, but we appreciate your time. Senior advisor to the Hillary Clinton campaign in the state of Florida. Still to come, we speak with the, Donald Trump's top campaign person here in the Sunshine State. This is Decision Florida from Florida Public Radio.
1: From Florida Public Radio, this is Decision Florida. I'm Matthew Petty of WMFE in Orlando.
0: And I'm Tom Hudson with WLRN in Miami. Matthew, you know, Donald Trump is going to be in Florida uh, this weekend, as a matter of fact, just to show yet again how important Florida voters are for this big presidential race. Mm -hmm. He'll be coming this weekend as his campaign uh, says it's going to be opening up some more offices. Uh, and it hasn't necessarily spent a lot of money on television advertising, certainly compared to the Clinton campaign. So we want to know from our Florida Public Radio audience, have you seen the political ads? Are they working on you? What are you hearing from the candidates that has your support? Here's the phone number, one or on social media at uh, Decision
1: Florida. That's right. Remember that hashtag if you're following us on social media, and that number. And uh, we're joined now by Susie Weil. She is the Trump campaign leader in Florida. Susie, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: Well, Susie, the Trump campaign is beginning to pour more traditional resources in Florida, uh, into Florida, rather promising to open up 25 offices in the next week. Uh, that's quite some. You know, it's quite a number of offices there. The campaign did make this promise back in August. Uh, can you deliver now?
3: I think we will. And frankly, before it's all said and done, with the Republican National Committee and the Republican Party of Florida, there'll be 50-plus offices. And we have uh, something sort of different, three RVs that travel the state and function as mobile offices.
1: What kind of response have you had to those uh, mobile office sort of outreach?
3: People love them. Um, There's a lot of voter registration going on and um, we bring them to rallies and concerts and fairs, and uh, they, they, they're new, a week a week in the, in the uh, offering, but they seem to be having great success.
0: Susie, it's uh, Tom Hudson with WLRN. Thanks again for joining us. You're relatively new in the uh, position. You got a bit of a promotion this week with the Trump campaign in the state of Florida. Uh, we've seen the national campaign go through some leadership changes over the past couple of weeks. Is it disorganized?
3: No, um, just putting your best foot forward as a campaign um, in the different stages of, of campaign work. I'm, I may be new to the position, but I'm certainly not new to the, the work and to Florida. So um, yesterday was day one.
0: And, and here we are in day two, speaking statewide with you. Um, back to this uh, expectation of setting up these campaign offices you know the Trump campaign during the primary ran obviously a very successful primary to secure the Republican Party's nomination without a lot of uh, ground game. Um, is this a change in uh, in strategy for the Trump campaign to open up this many offices in such a big state with so much at stake in Florida?
3: No changes. I'd say it's more evolving. The primaries are sort of the the primaries are one set of rules and the. And the 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 general election is something entirely different. So, um, you need you need offices, you need places for for volunteers to gather. But quite honestly, I I somewhat reject the notion that a campaign's ground game can be judged by bricks and mortar. Hmm. I just don't think that's the way it is. Can, can, I mean,
0: can it be judged by gasoline and rubber? In the case of your <laughs> RVs, is that the argument? Yeah.
3: Well, maybe shoe leather is the best way. Since April. Um, Republicans have knocked on almost 4 million doors in Florida. We have registered more voters than the Democrats. We certainly have much more voter contact. We've had our candidates in the state more. So we take Florida very seriously, and we're working hard to earn a vote from any corner of the state, from anybody registered as NPA, Republicans, Democrats, Pick your demographic group. We're working hard on all of them.
1: Susie, there have been some defections, if you will, though, from you know the camp supporting uh, Donald Trump, some fairly high-profile Republicans saying that they don't kind of get behind him. They don't like his message. I mean, is it difficult trying to corral support from more traditional sources?
3: Well, day two on the job for me, but not so far. Um, I think that we've been able to get great support from the Republican Party leaders in Florida. Certainly the national Republican Party leaders are working very hard. I mean, that's evidenced by that four million, um, 4 million doors knocked. We see tremendous um, enthusiasm at the at rallies around the state for not only Donald Trump, but also Mike Pence. Um, and we, we just feel the momentum's moving in our way. And I'll tell you, the fact that we've been outspent on TV to date by such a large margin, and we are tied. Um, and Florida is a TV state in many ways, it should be instructive. Uh, doesn't mean we're going to continue to lag behind in television, but to date... Um, we have, and we are, you know, effectively tied with Mrs. Clinton.
0: Do you anticipate uh, pouring more financial resources into the, those uh, television markets in Florida, and if so, how much?
3: I do, uh, and I don't. I don't know that we we know yet, but but it will be very noticeable. It'll be a, as your previous guest said, a very significant investment. <laughs>
1: Ten million, hundred million. You want to yeah. give me a, a number there?
3: No, I don't want to give you a number. But stay tuned.
1: And where where are you focusing? Where do you see the kind of competitive areas as far as uh, where you can put money into ads? Uh, you know, put your offices on the ground, or if not, that send your, your mobile units out there
3: well the offices are pretty well across the state um, we're not we're not sort of seeding any part of the state um, the the population center is central florida so i think you'll see a lot of activity there from candidates and surrogates but but we've just made a decision not to seed any any part of the state of Florida and we're working hard everywhere.
0: We've got some uh, phone calls, Susie, that we want to bring on here uh, in a moment, but I want to ask you about one specific issue that the uh, Trump campaign has had to uh, deal with uh, uh, this week. It's come back here because it comes from the state of Florida. There's been some calls for a federal investigation into the donation that Donald Trump's foundation made a few years back to the Attorney General Pam Bondi's campaign committee. Uh, You're an attorney by trade and practice yourself. Would you support a federal Investigation into this issue.
3: Well, I'm not an attorney, but I would, <laughs> but I would remind your listeners that Pam Bondi and Donald Trump are friends. They've been friends for many years, um, and the campaign contribution was a reflection of that friendship and support for what Attorney General Bondi was working toward in Florida. That's it's that's the beginning and end of it. And of course, people there's want a, to politicize it and exploit it for political means. But there, there's just no there there.
0: Does it deserve a federal investigation to come to that conclusion, if you're confident that would be the conclusion?
3: I It's not up to me to decide. I can't imagine that we would devote resources to something like that. But you never know.
0: Me we meaning the the campaign or the Federal Department of Justice,
3: the federal the United States, the Federal Department of Justice.
0: Uh, and then also, let me ask you about uh, the candidate uh, Trump's position on immigration. You mentioned obviously Central Florida being a key place uh, for the Trump campaign to compete against Secretary Clinton. Um, we know the 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 the, uh, the candidates statements regarding Mexicans uh, a little bit more than a year ago when he announced his candidacy. How does the campaign address that in places like South Florida, like Orlando and the I-4 corridor, places with a significant number of, uh, of immigrant voters?
3: Well, to date, he's gotten huge um, positive reception all over the state, honestly, and he'll be back in Miami-Dade. He'll certainly be back in Hillsborough County, Seminole County, Orange County many, many times. And we, we've we had good responses and um, expect that to continue. His, his message is resonating with people of all demographics. And and uh, we, we see that grow every day.
1: Well, we're going to take a call now. We've got some, uh, the phone lines lighting up here. Sylvia is calling from Miami Beach. Uh, Sylvia, you're on the air. What are you hearing from the candidates here, and, and what do you like?
4: Well, I'm really excited about Trump. First of all, I'm, in, I'm Hispanic, and I'm voting for him because hmm. I like that he puts America first. He's an intelligent man, global business, knows how to run it. And I feel confident he's going to be able to run this, corrupt government we have now, and the the inefficiency, the waste. And I think Hillary would be a disaster. I mean, she was a disaster as Secretary of State. She's a compulsive liar. How could we even reward such a person to be our president when she failed as a Secretary of State? There's more wars. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to vote for Trump. And I think as Hispanics and all Americans, we want this economy to go forward. We want a president that's not uses his own money and he speaks the truth, and he's not politically correct. Hillary just cares about power. It's obvious. Mm-hmm. So she just wants to, she lies whenever it's, you know, she sees it politically, you know, will win her. She just lies. I mean, I'm not an
1: American. Thanks for your call. <laughs> I, I, you've, made, you've made your point there. I appreciate you calling in. i uh, going to go yeah. to John now in Winter Park. Uh, John, what are you hearing from this campaign and uh, what are your thoughts here?
5: Well, I'm a registered Republican, and uh, I would not vote for Donald Trump. I think he's running a scam. I think, and I mean this seriously, I think the reason why he's not spending any money on television is because he knows after this campaign is over, he will get to keep all that money, and he's in it for the money.
1: What, oh, hang on a minute. You when, you, when you say he's
0: running a scam, what do you, what exactly do you mean there? You mean the campaign donations? Is that what you're saying, John?
5: That's correct. He doesn't want to be president. If he really wanted to be president, he would have stayed on message. Now people try to make it a lot of excuses that you know it's his personality, the way that he does things. No, I grew up in New York. Although I live in Florida now, I recognize a scam when I see one. And a lot of people, I really feel sorry for them, have been hoodwinked into thinking that Donald Trump is a bona fide candidate. He is not.
0: John, he we, is, John yes. we, we, we understand the, the critique there. We'll put it back to uh, Susie Wiles, who's running the Trump campaign campaign in Florida, and Susie, prior to your uh, new position in the state of Florida, you are working at Trump headquarters in New York. You certainly have worked if uh, in and around the campaign. The, the the critique that John has is probably not something uh, new to you or the campaign. How do you address it uh, in Florida and looking for that 1% uh, piece of margin that uh, that perhaps it may take?
3: Well, it is the first time I've heard that, that somehow our campaign is a scam. That's hmm. ludicrous. Um, the 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 candidate the candidate for vice president the staff in every state are working as hard as you possibly could to bring Donald Trump's uh, change outsider uh, campaign to success i I, I don't even I, I don't really have a response to something that's so ridiculous
0: how do you appeal to those independent voters uh, that uh, no party affiliation has been the, has seen the largest amount of growth in Florida registered voters over the past several years. Yeah. Uh, first of all, do you agree with with your colleague in the Clinton campaign, Scott Arsenao, who said this is a 1% state? Uh, the margin of victory could be 1% or less come November?
3: Might be the only thing
0: we agree on. Might be the only thing you agree <laughs> on. So if that 1% is what you're battling uh, against, how does the Trump campaign go after those independent voters?
3: Well, the, we start we start with the, the the voter contact. That's this is an unprecedented level of of meeting voters and contacting voters. I've never, I've, I've been doing this for many 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 years, and I've not seen this kind of a commitment in in a state that's this large. But four million, um, 4 million voter contacts, four million doors to date, um, almost five hundred thousand last week alone. And we, as I said earlier we're not targeting just republicans we target anybody that is undecided we target anybody of any persuasion that that we can find we meet the voters where they are we talk to them about what donald trump can mean and and we, our conversion rate as they say in the business is enormous so I do think it'll be low single digits, but I, I believe that I believe that Donald Trump will be the next president of the United States.
0: Susie Wiles is the Trump campaign leader in the state of Florida, with us from Pensacola, where she is getting prepared for her candidate to visit the Panhandle uh, tomorrow for a campaign event. Susie, thanks so much for your time today. We appreciate it.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: You are listening to Decision Florida from WLRN, Miami, and Florida Public Broadcasting.
1: I go back to the phones now. I've got a caller from Altamont Springs. Uh, Brian is on the line. And, Brian, you've got a question for our guest, Susie Wiles. What do you want to know?
6: I, I just want to know if uh, they think it's too little too late with the Donald Trump campaign when, you know, in the Central Florida area, I've seen the Clinton campaign for months, uh, especially in Winter Park and Altamont Springs and Orlando. And they're just coming in now. I, I just wanted to know if. They think it's a it's too you know a little too late uh, to you know be here okay. to be opening offices.
0: Mm-hmm. Brian, it's a great question, and clearly they're opening you know fifty some offices. They said they've got the uh, four uh, uh, rolling offices, and as Susie Wiles uh, mentioned, that um, uh, it may not be such a brick and mortar game, ground game as it has in in campaigns past. Uh, interesting series of uh, of calls here, uh, Matthew. Let's go to uh, Lake City. With the call here, as you're on Decision Florida, Matthew, welcome to the program. Matt, go ahead.
7: Yes, thanks for having me. Uh,
6: I just wanted to remark about the campaigns, and the uh, I, I feel like it's a big uh, smear campaign on both sides. They're both just hitting each other hard on a uh, non-issue, and uh, I, I have a I have a kind of a problem with that. I'm, I've been living in Florida for years. This whole campaign, every every ad I see, everything I see, is just something against the other candidate. And there's no meat to it, you know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm.
6: Uh, and,
0: uh, are, you swaying, are you swaying any which way, Matt? Are you ready to vote come uh, November? You made your decision despite all that? Yeah.
6: Yes. Um, Gary Johnson, 20, 2016.
0: Libertarian uh, uh, candidate. There's one of those third-party, Matthew, that, that we discussed.
1: Right, indeed. Yes. Uh, thanks for your call, Matt. Going to go to Neil in Tampa Bay. Uh, Neil, what are you hearing? What are you seeing when you uh, look at these two campaigns that are lining up against hey guys, each other? Uh,
7: thanks for taking my call. No, sure. I mean, you know, the, this is my least favorite part of any election, Because it seems as we get closer to Election Day, any chance for nuance or substance in in TV commercials or or in discourse goes out the window because it becomes just a blunt instrument. They bludgeon each other with the most blunt instrument that they can find. But you know what? I think I understand why that is, and I kind of want your input on this we we're talking about people you know i i love this notion of undecided right um as if it's we're coming down to this decision and and they're they're so close these are such radically different positions radically different attempts and and philosophies on government and life that people who haven't decided that what 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 percentage of these people what is the intelligence level i'm sorry i just have to say it and I, I get the feeling there are people who haven't read the book and are going to judge it by the cover at this point. It just makes me a little bit crazy because we talk about it like it's rational discourse mm-hmm. when it's people like the first caller who just get on and spout things they've heard. You know, his, oh, he, he's going to put America first. What, what does that even mean? Mm-hmm.
1: Neil, you make, a, you make a, we hear your point there. Just, just real quick before we let you go, uh, have you decided? You sound like a man with his mind made up.
7: Sure. But but I'm, I'm, I'm also NPA, so that's, you know, um, <laughs> no falling part, into your
0: trap. There. No party yeah. affiliation, yeah. Let's uh, take uh, one more call here in uh, Delray Beach. John is on uh, line five. Uh, let's see here. There we go. Let's go to John. John, go ahead. You're on uh, decision floor. Go ahead. Welcome.
6: Well, thank you. You asked the question earlier uh, whether we had seen ads for the candidates and whether we thought that was moving the needle. I, I would say to you that in this election, unlike most Uh, you probably have such an anti-vote at one candidate that's helping the other that you can't really gauge, as you would in a traditional sort of uh, sense, what's happening. So the ads that you see that uh, Hillary is running are sort of anti-Trump, although she has a few now that are starting to be pro-her positions. And Donald Trump's are more vague and and, uh, anti-Hillary. So I, I don't see the needle moving much if you look at the polling even in florida yeah the gap is closing a little bit but boy it it was only four points three points yeah. five
0: points to john start with. L- let me ask you I mean, these candidates have spent uh considerable amounts of money we just heard they're going to spend tens of millions of dollars on these campaigns but uh on these television campaigns you're saying that's wasted money
6: no i think i think what it's, it's, it's trying to pick up that last two or three percent of people i suspect yeah and uh and they're not just NPAs. I mean, there's. I talk to people every day that are, that are Republicans that just, they'll vote for anybody but Hillary. And then you talk to uh, NPAs, Democrats, Republicans who say, I'm just embarrassed by the things that Donald Trump says, and I don't want our country to be represented that way. So I, I'm not sure that... It's a waste, but it's, I think it's going to impact a very narrow percentage. We
0: got of it. I think John it from have- Delray, we got to run. We, we got it. This uh, uh, conversation will continue considering how competitive the race for the White House is. Why not more congressional competition? It's Decision Florida from Florida Public Radio. From WLRN Public Media in Miami and Florida Public Radio, this is Decision Florida. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Hudson.
1: And I'm Matthew Petty from WMFE in Orlando. Well, the presidential race may be sucking a lot of the oxygen out of the room, but there are some important congressional races shaping up in Florida too, Tom. And, you know, redistricting has reshaped the boundaries of many of these congressional seats in Florida, which made some pretty tight primary races, some excitement there at the end of last month. Mm -hmm. But just how many of these seats are up for grabs in November? And, you know, what has redistricting done to shift the balance of power? Now, if you want to call in, the number is 305-995-1800. That's 305-995-1800. If you're following us on social media, hashtag Decision Florida. Don't forget that hashtag there.
0: It may be a 1% race for the uh, presidential race here in the state of Florida, but there's not a lot of competition in those uh, congressional races. In the southernmost mm-hmm. congressional district, Matthew, it, it, in fact, this fall will be a rematch of what the race was just two years ago, but this time it's switched here. The challenger is the former incumbent. Democrat Joe Garcia faces Republican Congressman Carlos Corbello in the district that is now slightly more Democratic than what it was when Garcia lost the race two years ago
5: but the republicans have
1: redesigned this district at least three times in this last decade to keep me from my appointed task and uh we're seeing also in pinellas county republican congressman david jolly facing a familiar name former governor charlie christ running as democrat we've got some guests on the line we've got sergio bustos joining us senior editor with politico florida he joins us uh from his home thanks for joining us sergio thank you, thank you. We're also joined by A.G. Gankarski with floridapolitics.com. He joins us from the studios of WJCT. Thank you so much, A.G. Thanks for having me. Well, here's the question then. How many congressional races are actually considered competitive uh, looking ahead to November? And uh, A.G., if you want to pick that one up.
8: Oh, sure. Um, You know, if you look at the money in these races, there's not a lot of competitive races. You've got 26 contested ones. You know, 20 of them see one candidate with five times as much cash on hand as the other at the end of the primary period. Um, You see some ridiculous spreads. Congressional District 6, Ron DeSantis coming out of the Senate race. Uh, had a 21,500-to-1 advantage over his opponent. Um, you know, the, the closest race, really, you're going to see is Yoho um, in CD3 versus his opponent. Yoho had 429,000 on hand, but you know, a lot of these races are seeing huge spreads. The Chris Jolly race is a 2.3-to-1 spread. Jolly's been hurt by his... Um, um, crusade against fundraising and campaigns Mm -hmm. and so on. So you're seeing a lot of non-competitive races in terms of money race. One to look at is Murphy versus Micah in uh, central Florida where even though Micah's got five times as much as Murphy does in terms of cash on hand, Mm -hmm. you're seeing $3 million come in for Murphy from um, outside organizations and dark money is something to watch in these races.
1: That's interesting. I mean, you know, Micah has been in Congress so long. He sometimes refers to himself as like the (laughs) rock of Gibraltar and he seems pretty unflustered by this idea, but as you point out, a lot of money being poured into the, the Democratic uh, candidate there come November. Um, Sergio, what are you seeing when you look at the kind of competitiveness or not of these races looking ahead to fall? Well, I think you uh,
9: put the nail on the head on the Garcia-Crabello race is going to be a competitive one. It's a very interesting district that runs all the way down to the Keys. Um, I think the Christian Jolly race is a fascinating one because You've got Chris as a former Republican turned independent turned Democrat, racing against, uh, you know, Jolly, who is not really getting a lot of help from the Republican class and the establishment because um, there was a 60 Minutes feature done a couple of months back where he's been out front with trying to um, get lawmakers, if you can believe this, to stop trying to raise so much money and spending so much time raising money that, that they should be raising, uh, spending more time working on um, doing their job and helping constituents.
1: Mm-hmm.
9: Um, but the Republican establishment does not like uh, his uh, move here, and so he's really getting shunned by them.
1: It's interesting, and in, you know, most cases, uh, somebody, as you point out, a Republican turned Independent turned Democrat, that kind of weather vane uh, nature of things would, would be a, a disadvantage. But in this race, you're you're seeing he's still got a pretty good advantage over uh, David Jolly. Ah, uh, yes, and that that district leans
9: Democrat. Um, but keep in mind that I think there's at least 100,000, 112,000 um, NPAs, non-party affiliated voters, so that's going to be, I think, a very competitive race. Uh,
0: Ag, we're talking about individual races here, but I want to pull back a little bit and look at uh, statewide. And, and you speak uh, authoritatively and I think accurately about the race for money. That clearly is a is a big deciding factor in terms of uh, how these candidates can perform at the ballot box because of name recognition and those kinds of issues. But but more generally speaking, um, a number of these congressional districts had boundaries moved thanks to a a, a long fought, long drawn out lawsuit uh, uh, to to in order to make them, according to the opponents, a bit more equitable. Um, so if, if that was the case and we're still seeing uh, not so much uh, Democrat versus Republican competition in terms of the actual mix of voters, why is that?
8: Well, you know, the remapping was a response to the mapping done in the 90s that created minority access Democratic districts in exchange for a preponderance of Republican districts. Um, what we've seen in this current election cycle Um, I look up here at Corian Brown's race. Corian Brown lost her primary to Al Lawson by about nine points. Mm -hmm. And Lawson got a lot of Republican support, it should be noted. Um, Susie Wiles, um, who you just talked to in the last segment, introduced Lawson to Jacksonville Media trying to make the sale. He's a Tallahassee guy trying to sell in Jacksonville. So now you've got a competitive race in that district, Congressional District 5, between Lawson, who is a Democrat that Republicans are very comfortable with, and Glow Smith, a perpetual Republican candidate, who's not getting the kind of energy that she wants. So, um, you know, even though you've had the remapping, um, even though you've got the NPA factor, even though you've got the disaffected Republicans and disaffected Democrats also, um, you've got a lot of races that were basically decided in the primary.
0: Sergio, same type of question. You know, we we did see a number of races in South Florida. The Debbie Wasserman-Schultz race was uh, significant uh, on the Democratic side. She had a a significant Democratic uh, primary uh, opponent that that she won, but that's a predominantly Democratic uh, district. Uh, um, We have seen these other districts in uh, Congressional District 2 in the Panhandle, for instance, Representative Gwen Graham deciding not to run for re-election in a district that is going to lean slightly more Republican than its current Democratic makeup.
9: Yes, I think it's a sad political reality in America today that, um, you know, you have these 400-odd seats up for grabs. And really, every two years, there's maybe a couple dozen, maybe three dozen at best that are truly competitive. And if you think about it, um, the Canova, Wasserman, Schultz race is a good example where that race is pretty much decided at the primary level. And in Florida— only, um, you know, Democrats can vote in a Democratic primary, Mm -hmm. meaning anyone who's independent or Republican has no say in that district. Of course, the district itself has been gerrymandered, and I think it's 75 75 percent Democrat anyway. So really, it's uh, a lot of these districts, and it's not not, uh, an isolated situation. A lot of these congressional districts are so drawn up that The primary is where the game is played, and uh, a lot of people are left on the sidelines, and those people are voters.
0: Uh, those voters and it said all politics is local. So we want to hear from you, Florida voters. Have you been uh, uh, changing in your district as you wind up seeing a different set of names on your primary ballot? Are you seeing a different set of names potentially to consider for the general election? It is Decision Florida here from the Panhandle to the Peninsula on your public radio station. Here's how to participate. 305-995-1800. 305-995-1800 or social media with the hashtag Decision Florida.
1: And we've got a caller on the line, Louis, calling in from Oakland. Uh, Louis, what's on your mind when you look at the the spread of things uh, coming up in these congressional races in November?
5: Oh, I'm grateful for the redistricting. I had the, one of the most Tea Party darlings in Daniel Webster as my representative, and he's gone because they shifted his district up from the Bible Belt by Ocala. We have a more contiguous, you know, central and west Orange County district now, which you know Orange County's. Really, really a blue county. Mm -hmm. And so now we're going to to get Val Demings, who I didn't vote for, but I mean, I had a good choice of four Democrats. I'm a Democrat. I was voting for Bob Poe, Mm -hmm. but she won. I'm happy with that. And then uh, a good candidate down in South Osceola County, but ran in Dick Grayson's district, uh, Darren Soto. We might get the first Latino congressman here and the first African-American congresswoman in Central Florida here all in one election because of redistricting. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I'm really happy about that.
1: Thanks for your call, Louis. And uh, just to, to point out there, of course, Darren Soto could be the first uh, congressman of Puerto Rican uh, descent to, to uh, make it from Florida there. Um when you look at the, that race, uh, District 10 there, AG, you know, what do you see? Obviously, uh, Dan Webster effectively kind of getting redistricted out of his own seat there. Um, what's your takeaway from, from that particular race?
8: Well, you know, the caller made a salient point. You know, as a, as a Democrat, he was happy with his choice. Of course, Republicans who might be in that district are left out in the cold. Um, and you, you see that statewide. I mean, if you're in a you know, 60, 40 Republican district, then you're going to be happy with what comes out of the primary if you're part of that 60. If you're a republic if you're a Democrat, if dealing with a Republican dominated district, you're going to get heartburn. You're going to have your Local equivalent of Daniel Webster or whatever, and you know that's that's the reality of this game. Um, you know the way the maps are drawn, uh, moving a district line half a mile one direction or another, you know changes the political calculus for so many voters, and that's kind of the unspoken story of every election cycle. The unspoken story of redistricting.
0: Let's go to line one. Uh, Christopher is with us from Ocala. Christopher, welcome to Decision Florida. Go ahead.
10: Good afternoon. I'm delighted with the decision that the Florida the uh, League of Women Voters made to pursue this, put it on the ballot, and then pursue it through court after the Republican Party did their best to keep the gerrymandering in place. I'm also going to say that this is going to open up the opportunity, I believe, for more people to vote for a candidate they'd really prefer, rather than just simply the selections of the parties. So I represent the right of adults to cannabis which is the follow-up for the medical marijuana petition this is something that we have not been able to get the politicians to really follow up until now we Christopher a-
0: let me ask you about that about that point about seeing other candidates on the ballot because of redistricting do you attribute that to redistricting even though we still have closed primaries to Sergio Bustos's point uh, you know, there was a relatively safe Democratic district with W. Wasserman Schultz uh, that uh, kind of uh, straddles the Broward County and Miami-Dade County line. Uh, she had a significant Democratic challenger, but not uh, a real formidable Republican challenger. That seat is likely to be safely Democratic. So it's the Democratic primary voters that wind up deciding as opposed to in a general election.
10: Yes, and I'm in the exact opposite uh, situation here in Marion County, where the Republicans have long ruled the roost fact that democrats just about gave up running for many seats in this area now we have two seats that are in this general area of north central florida uh... congressional district Three and congressional district eleven we have dave kroller running for the democrats which i don't believe you would have seen he's running against uh... dan webster who moved over when the districts were changed that's an election i don't think you would have necessarily seen in the past uh... And we have uh, a change, as I said, in District 3, so we now have a competitive race in Congressional District 3 where we may not have had it otherwise with the way that the lines are set.
0: Christopher, we appreciate you joining our program here on Decision Florida. Clearly a high-information voter there in, uh, in Central Florida. And you are listening to Decision Florida from WLRN
1: Miami and Florida Public Broadcasting. And uh, you're joined also by Sergio Bustos, senior editor from Politico Florida, and A. G. Gankarski from FloridaPolitics.com. Uh, Sergio, when you look at you know congressional redistricting overall, um, from the point of view of the voters sort of looking at all this, I mean, big picture, what kind of difference does it make? Um, you know, the, the changes we might see come November, what kind of impact, an impact is it going to have up on Capitol Hill?
9: Well, that's hard to tell at this point because um, I, I think all across the country, and you've seen this with uh, Trump's ascendancy in the Republican Party, um, and the lack of enthusiasm for Hillary Clinton. There's just this feeling that people are very angry with Washington, very frustrated with what's been going on. I thought the segment you had before with the two campaign directors, and then especially the callers, I think very reflective of uh, Florida, you know. You had someone who's uh, uh, backing Trump because they're just uh, so fed up with things. And then you've got folks saying, oh, the obvious choice is Clinton uh, uh, because of uh, some of the remarks by Trump. How that plays out next year, right now you've got um, you know, the Republican Party worried about Trump's effect on down-ballot uh, candidates, whether it be for the U.S. Senate or the House. And you've got um, uh, uh, kind of the the, you know, the whole country's kind of in limbo on on what's going on. And, and Florida's a great ground. Ground zero for it all, because I I do believe this election is going to be very close uh, here.
0: A.G., with that uh, kind of analysis from Sergio, what about any potential impact on the Florida delegation as it uh, will go back to work or go to work in Washington in early 2017?
8: yeah um you know the thing you want to watch is seniority obviously um that's something that northeast florida people are very concerned about andrew crenshaw he's leaving congress corian brown she's leaving congress um so jacksonville has lost a um, considerable amount of seniority um, effective at this election and you know, that's really the thing that i think voters are going to weigh is you know if you have something like debbie Wasserman schultz who's on our committees who's effective who has seniority you know why would you get rid of that person? Why would you get rid of somebody who's got 20 years in the game? And this is this is the reality. I mean, when people run in primaries, they talk ideology. The consultants put out the mailers saying that a candidate is too liberal, if there's Republican, too conservative, Democrat, whatever. But, you know, when it comes down to the appropriations game, you know, that's where seniority comes in. Um, and that's where the impact of redistricting could hurt Florida in the end because it is a bottom line zero-sum game. Cities are, depending on money from Washington, mm-hmm. the state is and so on so that's something to watch
1: gonna take another call here we've got Mary calling in from Atlantic Beach Uh, Mary what's on your mind as you look ahead to November
4: hi I'm from the Jacksonville area Atlantic Beach is a suburb and I really think the closed primaries are still very important for years I was an independent until Governor Bush nullified all of our voter registration And so I re-registered as a Democrat, but I vote back and forth depending on the person. Mm -hmm. And for years, I would go as an independent, and I could only vote for things like school board and Mm -hmm. so forth. But what it's done in Northeast Florida, which has become overwhelmingly Republican, is force a second party. In other words, the Democrats have started gathering again, and we're starting to see more interest and the potential for there to be both parties equally represented.
1: Mary, you make a good point. Thanks for your call. I do appreciate that, the importance of closed primaries there. Uh, And, you know, we've seen the impact of that
0: on turnout, Sergio and A.G., in terms of the uh, March presidential preference primary, certainly here in the state of Florida, as well as the recent uh, uh, primary on uh, August 30th. Uh, Guys, just a couple of seconds left here, but a 1% race uh, on the top of the ticket, do you think, A.G., still?
8: Um, on the top of the ticket, I, I think you've really got to watch Gary Johnson. All right, got we'll to watch, watch his Jill Stein impact. To a extent.
0: All right, uh, and we'll have to leave it there. A.J. Gankarski along with us from FloridaPolitics.com and Sergio Busto, senior editor at Politico,
1: for us here today. That's our program for today. We invite you to join us on social media. Share your experience this political season with us. Use the hashtag Decision Florida. You can also download a podcast of this program at iTunes. Search for Decision Florida. Decision Florida is produced by WLRN Public Media in Miami by Julia Duba. Polly Landis is our booking producer, Jason Zabka, our technical director. With engineering help from Charles Michaels, WLRN's program director is Peter Mantz. We received production help this week from WJCT in Jacksonville and WUWF in Pensacola. I'm Matthew Petty of WMFE in Orlando. And I'm Tom Hudson. This special program from Florida Public Broadcasting
0: has been a presentation of WLRN Public Media in Miami. Thanks for listening.